1: What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, my podcast and cousin from across the pond, the captain of the Taylor gang, the one and only Adam Taylor. Adam, we got a lot to talk about today. How you doing, man? Hi, mio. <laughs> you want a Spanish <laughs> kick right now, man? You want some Duolingo, or is yeah, just uh, I mean, just, just bits that I
2: already know, right? Like, uh <laughs> I just I'm just trying to have memorable first sentences on the show. Yeah, no, will, it, that sums it up, right? I would ask me, I like, oh, what the hell, man? Wow, there's Dios, man?
1: It's it, it's you know, it's tough, man. It's it's really tough. Obviously, you know, we're talking about the Boston Celtics now finding themselves for the second straight year. In a 3 2 hole in the second round, heading for elimination on the road, which is what will be happening in Philadelphia. Game six, Thursday night, Celtics drop game five at home, 115 to 103. Um just a really tough game that we're gonna we're gonna break down here in a second. But one thing we do have to promote, you know what? Let's 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 start with a little bit, a little bit of good news, because there isn't gonna be a ton of great news in this podcast if we're just being a hundred percent real because we're gonna have to talk about what happened in game five. But I mentioned this on the last podcast, following game six, win, lose, or draw. Well, unfortunately, draw's not an option. We're not playing soccer here, but win or lose. We will be broadcasting live on the Bleacher Report app following. Game six, we'll have the three-man weave united after game six, so make sure you download the Bleacher Report app. We'll put this on Twitter as well and Instagram, so make sure you're following us there. But We are going to be live on the Bleacher Report app, and when there is a game seven, because Adam, I'm talking it into existence now. God damn it, we're going to put it in the air. We're going to put it out there. We're going to talk it into existence today. By the time we're done with this podcast, we're going to fully believe that there will be a game seven. We will also have post-game coverage for you on the Bleacher Report app following Game 7. So that is the good news of the day, Adam. Are you ready for us to talk about the rest of the news that we got to get to? There's news. I don't know if it's news, but it's it's, it's a recap of the events that had happened at the yeah. City Garden last night. Are you ready to get into it? Yeah, we need. I need that... Um cathartic
2: exorcism that's what i need right now so let's let's do it but first of all well you've got something you always do that makes me happy when i hear it i'd like you to jump straight into it man
1: you know what it is let's queue up a morning box score morning box score boston celtics fall to the philadelphia 76ers in game 5 115 to 103 Now trail the best of seven series, three games to two, heading to Philadelphia for game six on Thursday night. Let's start with the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, the MVP of the league, and he played like it last night. 33 points, seven rebounds, three assists, four blocks, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Let this man hang around and he is gonna do some damage. He had a lot of help last night. James Harden, 17 points, 10 assists, eight rebounds on only four of eight shooting. Only shot the ball eight times, went to the line 10 times as well, but definitely left a mark on this game. And then Tyrese Max, he had really his breakout game of the series 30 points for him to go along with seven rebounds three assists tobias harris also added in 16 points and 11 rebounds a really really strong game from philadelphia's core four for the celtics let's flip it over that way jason tatum finishes with a great stat line 36 points 10 rebounds five assists only 11 of 27 from the field and three of 11 from the three point line, 11 of 13 from the line. We'll talk more about how we just got to that finish line or how we got to that final stat line. Jalen Brown, 24 points, six rebounds, two assists, nine of 16 from the field, three of six from three, but an abysmal three of eight from the free throw line. Marcus Smart chipped in with 14 points. We're going to run through a whole bunch of the Celtics issues here. But Adam, you know, here's the place that I want to start. Celtics are down three-two. Myself, you, let's include Greg in this as well. We're not going to speak for him, but but we all spoke before the series. We all felt really confident, and and you know for a while, even even thinking back to the regular season, we knew that this matchup was coming. We all felt very confident about this matchup. How stunned are you today that the Celtics are now facing elimination in Game Six, heading to Philadelphia?
2: Yeah, so I'm not stunned that they find themselves 3-2 down. We all knew that Philly was a legitimate threat. We've all spoke about it all season. You know, it's either Milwaukee, Boston or Philly. So we knew that they were going to be a good team. We knew it was going to be a tough series. I think for me, the shock is how these losses have come, right? It's been the Celtics not rising to the occasion more than Philly actually outplaying the Boston when they're playing at their best. It's one thing to outplay a team that's not really turning up, but when the Celtics have played their best, no one's outplayed them yet. So for mm-hmm. me, it's definitely like the Celtics have done this to themselves. So I'm more frustrated than I am shocked.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, we always, here's the thing. We always have accounted for Joel Embiid being the MVP of the league, because that's what he is. Mm-hmm. James Harden has exceeded his expectations as to what we thought. I think last night, I'm not super surprised by his game last night. The two 40-point games definitely surprised me because we just haven't seen that Harden this year. Like, that hasn't been a guy that that we've seen. And, and I think last night, you know, here's one thing that I did agree with from, from Joe Mazzula and the team last night after the game. That's the first truly just didn't show up bad yeah. all-around game they've played that's the first one other ones it's more moments in time it's pockets in time where it's i don't know why this happened in this stretch last night was was, was front to back just a night where they didn't have it i don't know why it's a game five on your home court it's a massive game why i don't know and, and we heard all the post game comments all the ones that we've heard before time and time again you know i i i can't explain why that is but you know, I I expected, I'm not shocked that there would be a game of this sort in this series. I'm shocked of the timing of it because of, of the situation and, and, and circumstance. But a lot of it for me, when I look at this series, comes back to, you know, specifically, I think game one is the, is the game that I'm still looking at as... That's the one that's just going to kick you in the balls, right? That's the one that's really, really going to hurt. No Embiid. Your only mission is don't let James Harden go nuts. That's the only yeah. mission. And, and you win that game. And there's a lot of flaws in that just kind of collapsing, falling apart. The Malcolm Brogdon pass, you can go through it. And that, to me, is the one that really sticks out. Because even Game 4, which we obviously dove into deep with you know, the late-game decisions... Philly played really well in that game. Philly played really well, and it felt like up until about, you know, six and a half, seven minutes left in the fourth, that they were probably going to win that game. Even though the Celtics weren't playing bad, Philly was playing like a really, one of their better versions. And they they actually exceeded that when they came in in game five last night at the guard. They exceeded what that best version of them looked like. But that was a game that I think you could have understood losing and then it just hurt so much more because they made that great comeback. And then you saw a lot of those faults come back. So, one of these stinkers was, I think, bound to happen at some point. Yeah, It's just extremely disappointing that it's it, it, it's the situation and timing of when it happened, right?
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's, the home court struggles are still a real thing, and we said this at the beginning of the series, like the Celtics look more susceptible to getting their butts whooped when playing at home than they do when playing in an opponent's arena, and that's not a good sign. If you look at what they did last year, like they made the TD Garden a fortress for at least a bit of a stretch during the postseason, especially during the regular season. And then you look at the way Philly played when they came in uh, yesterday in game five, and they just took Boston's lunch money early. The Celtics' lunch money was in Joe Allen Bede's pocket within the first three minutes of the game, and they spent the rest of the time trying to get it back, and you know it just didn't happen. And yeah. to me, that's just a lack of... like. It, honestly, I came away thinking it was a lack of pride. To get booed as well in the third yeah. quarter when there's still time deservedly to booed too deservedly but for the fans in the arena to feel that way when there's still an entire quarter of basketball to play shows you that there was a lack of a lack of pride a lack of urgency. Uh, I'm really disenchanted with with what we've seen over the last two games. I'm not saying that I'm out on Boston. I still think that you know I still think the Celtics can turn this around and come back and win the series. We've seen them do it before but at the moment i've got no faith if they play like that again on um, thursday then that bleach report coverage that we're doing will be the last time to do it this <laughs> season i will tell you that much
1: it's gonna it's gonna be a very sad moment for us if that's uh if that's the <laughs> moment back on Bleacher report and we, we're a happy to yeah we have to sum up the season but you know to your point that that they've they have been they've literally been here a year ago to this day and it's funny adam i forgot it, it, because, you know, last year we think of that finals run and we kind of think of, you know, the Jimmy Butler missed shot. We think of, you know, how the Warriors were able to, um, you know, uh, use all of the Celtics' weaknesses against them in the finals. It's like, how do we keep building on that? I forgot how devastating Game 5 against Milwaukee was last year. Ooh, my I boy. saw some of the clips that were, were kind of circling around. It was having me flashback to some, like, PTSD-type moments. And, you know, I forgot about the missed free throw. We have two guys, you know, knock into each other the ball falls into bobby portis's hands he uh you know puts the the offensive rebound back marcus smart has back-to-back plays that you know to try to win and tie the game that just all fall apart one on the baseline on a great play by drew holiday or two plays by drew holiday drew holiday strips him at midcourt basically with about four seconds left and you know they they bounce back against a milwaukee team with a guy who we all typically consider is you know, the, the best player in the NBA, well, the 76ers have Joel Embiid. He's the MVP right now. Maybe he's the best player in the NBA. So it is, in many circumstances, a very familiar position that this team is in. And so, much like last year, there was no way to feel great going into Game 6. There's not going to be a way to feel great going into games, other than being, you know, delusional and talking yourself into it. doesn't mean it can't happen, but it's just hard to, be, to feel good about this team right now. But it's possible. It is very possible that this team, like this team, like you said, we're not out on this team. This team can certainly do it, and we've seen them do it. And they love putting themselves in the toughest positions possible to try to make these runs. And now they're 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 back there again. And so uh, backs against the wall, time to show up again.
2: I mean, I'll say this: last season, I was a bit more confident. I had more faith in this system that Ima Udoka had. Mm-hmm. I had more faith in. The Celtics being able to turn up on defense and shut a team down even if their offense wasn't clicking. I don't have that faith this year. I also feel like Doc Rivers is system... Oh, that might not be the right word. Yeah, he's categorically... There's the word. He's categorically categorically out coaching Joe Mazzulla on a game to game basis he is so far
1: which, so is, which got, is crazy right Because that's not that's, uh, that's has not, not been Doc Rivers MO recently but you know I, know I thought quick really just on the Doc Rivers point was he gave an interview I don't know if this is between the first and second quarter I can't remember when it was but they they asked him about the defenses and I thought it was a, a pretty genuine answer where he was like I don't know which one's better than the other but I just but it's just good for us to keep keep you know mixing it up showing different looks and the fact that he admitted he's like i don't know which one is better but we're going to keep showing different looks because we can tell that it's messing with them you know i don't know which one is going to be sustained but we're going to keep varying it up and you know i I thought that was a little bit telling and that that was a little bit of a feather in in doc's cap for for the coaching matchup of the series
2: yeah it's the adjustments that doc is making i've kind of said this on a on instagram just in a comment reply i was replying to somebody it feels like Joe Mazzoula's got no answer right now. So the Sixers... You mean, altered- you mean at the 250
1: mark? Wasn't a, wasn't a good one <laughs> for <laughs> I mean, I'd been asking for that from before the series. No, I actually didn't mind. I thought that was actually like, hey, you got to try something, man. I, try something, That's man. Yeah. I, actually, I actually applauded that, but I was just using that as a joke.
2: Yeah, but he made me giggle when uh, you got the desired effect. But it's like, right, game four the Sixers run that side pick and roll action. They move to the side, they empty out the corner to take away the low, the strong side low help, man. Game five, they do the same thing, but bust and start icing as you come off. So what does Rivers do? He tells them, okay, instead of popping out, I want you to roll slash cut towards the nail. And you're just going to get the ball around there and you're going downhill. And when it's not Embiid, we're going to do that with Harris. When it's not Harris, we're going to do it with Reed, because the, op- the the middle of the floor is going to be open because everybody's shifting over to deal with the James Harden threat on the drive. And then Philadelphia just cooked Boston down the middle. They literally just destroyed them. Uh, that little adjustment spoke volumes to me because I'm like, I haven't seen Missoula make an adjustment like that on offense where the Celtics have just ate you know, what I mean, okay, I'm going to tweak this just slightly. So instead of having a big pop, I'm going to have him kind of shade himself towards the nail. We're going to hit him there, and then he's going to roll to the rim. And that one adjustments going to get us ten to fifteen points. I haven't seen that from Joe Missoula this this series. I haven't seen yeah. it from him this postseason. Man,
1: I, I feel like he's being that coach, and it's not all on him. The players just aren't turning up right now. So that's where I want to go. So let's take a, let's take a quick break here, and I want to I want to jump in uh, on that point. So, you know, still speaking of of, of Joe of Joe Missoula here, and I think this was a pretty common tweet I was seeing last night after the game about Missoula this, Missoula that, and yeah, I don't think he had, you know, a, he hasn't had a great series, he hasn't had a great postseason. It's it's been it's been okay, it's been average, it's been some ups, there has been some downs. The downs are probably a lot more noticeable, but I think the low hanging fruit last night was to to jump on Joe Missoula, and I don't, I'll be honest, last night. Joe Missoula was certainly grasping at straws. We talked about the Peyton Pritchard move. I think at one point, you know, and I want to get into the players here. And we'll talk more about Al Horford, him not being able to hit shots, was just really devastating to the offense. And at one point, he tries to go to a you know Brogdon Rob Williams look and bead and harden were just toasting that. That's like one of the few notes I have in my notebook here. It's just Brogdon, Brogdon and Rob versus Harden and Embiid equal in all capitals. Toast.
0: Just,
1: <laughs> just 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 wasn't gonna work. But you know, you started to say this. I don't think last night is, is is on Missoula. That team was not there from the jump. I think we need, I want to start going through some of the players last night. Let's do and, it. And, and I want to start with Jason Tatum because I mentioned this in the morning box score. You know, he, his last two and a half quarters were fantastic. He was the only guy that showed up at that point, but for the second straight game, He's had such a slow start that he is a main reason this team was in a hole in game four and had to make that comeback and then couldn't execute down the stretch. In this game, they were down 14 by the time he scored his first basket midway through the second quarter. Like, he is a very big contribution. So when he ends up with 36, 10, 5, gets to the line 13 times, once again, if I give you those numbers in a vacuum before the game, you're saying, sign me up every single time. That sounds like an excellent Jason Tatum game. But to the point that I think this is last night specifically is more on the players than it is on Missoula. I think it starts with Jason Tatum.
2: Yeah. And this is your star player coming out, either not capable of executing against the defense or just not prepared to have to execute at the level he needs to. Now it's not like Tatum's playing in his first conference semifinals. It's not like it's his first playoff run. This dude's been to multiple conference finals. He's been to the NBA finals. He's had big games on this stage. So to struggled the way he's struggled for two straight games. That concerns me. I mean, I'm not making excuses here because I do think he's played poorly in the, in the grander scheme of things rather than just the box score. That wrist has been hurting him all year. Ideally, I'm, I'm I, I genuinely believe if Boston get bounced in this series or if they lose it, like whenever they get bounced, if they don't win a championship, even if they do once hit, once their season's over, I think we hear about Tatum having surgery on that wrist, but yeah. that's possible. But then, if you know that, if you know that maybe that's the reason, whatever. Maybe he spat on it again because it was against Embiid last year, where he hurt that that risk got re-aggravated because it's so physical down in the paint around that low post. If you know that, put the ball in Brown's hands more. If Brown's not got it, find someone that's going to get you going early. That what we've spoke about all year is how deep this team is, mm-hmm. and right now it looks shallow as fuck.
1: Where where's the depth? <laughs> It's well. Here's the thing. I, I think it's there, there still is a depth to this team, but for what you're asking, I think is where there's a little bit of a of a shallowness, right? Because even even a guy like Jalen Brown, I mean, one of the I think one of the reasons that we haven't seen him get enough touches or enough looks is, you know, it's hard to sometimes trust his decision making with the basketball, whether it be his handle, that's maybe partially because of the hand injury he had coming into the playoffs. Or I mean, we saw last year, he struggled with his handle, just in general, without an injury. Um, And then sometimes the decision making, and then we talked about Malcolm Brogdon on, you know, on the last show, right, where Brogdon while while there's a benefit to Brogdon with his spacing, and the fact that he can get his own shot, you know, the role that he's been asked to play for this team dictates him not necessarily play like the creator facilitator that maybe he was asked to be in Indiana in a former role in Milwaukee. And sometimes that has thrown off the offense. So I think there's still depth to this team, but I think for what you're asking for when it comes to initiating and it comes to creating and playmaking, I think maybe that's an area where, where maybe it is a little bit more shallow than we thought. And You know, but I mean at the end of the day, it's gonna start with starting and end with the Jays, right? That's that's gonna be they're the head of the snake. And and for Tatum, such great bounce backs, like I said, second half of of game four, last two and a half quarters of last night, he was great, but he is a big part of of creating those holes. And then you look at his you look at his running mate in in Jalen Brown, and you know, part of that second quarter, he plays just under five minutes. He doesn't have a single shot in the second quarter. How does your second player Not have a single shot. Now, granted, part of this is 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 on him because he commits two offensive fouls that have to put Joe Mazzula has to put him to the bench with three fouls. He doesn't play the last three and a half, four minutes. So some of that's on Jalen Brown. But how is your best player out there for five minutes and not get a single shot up? Like that's that's just terrible, man. I I don't know how to explain that. The game after he plays an overtime period
2: and doesn't get a single shot up in overtime. So that means in the last, if we if we're talking, say we're doing this at halftime, uh, um, at halftime in game five, the last three quarters, Brown has had two of them where he doesn't take a shot. Yeah, you know, and then we've got the the games where he just vanishes in the second half, or the second half, as an Englishman would say. Um, There's a lot that's going on with Jalen Brown right now. And again, we don't know whether that's schematic, whether that's, hey, Tatum's cooking, so we need you to take that step back or whatever. But at the moment, we're not seeing consistency. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about stars in the NBA, when you talk about an MVP candidate in Jason Tatum, sound like Stephen A right now, when you talk about an all-star, an all-NBA candidate in Jalen Brown, obviously Tatum falls into that category being an MVP candidate. One of the things you want and one of the things you expect is consistency. That's what separates you from being a high-level NBA guy to an elite NBA guy is the fact that you're doing it consistently. Every night, you know this is what we're going to get. And we're not seeing that from either guy right now. And we haven't seen it from either of them since the start of the postseason. There's been good games. There's been bad games. There's been games where they don't show, games where they do. That's not consistent, and that doesn't fill you as a fan or an analyst or somebody as a diehard, however you want to kind of pigeonhole yourself in like Celtics fandom or the Celtics ecosystem, it doesn't fill you with confidence when your two-star guys are prone to disappearing or struggling at the same thing
1: for a quarter, two quarters a game. Let me ask you this, Adam, because I can't figure it out and I've seen it in person and it's it's a feeling that I think a lot of Celtics fans have. What's up with Jalen Brown, the free throw line? I don't know if you have anything that, that and that you can even advise. I mean, Greg and I, you know, were in the building earlier this season when Jalen Brown had those free throws against the New York Knicks. And you can tell when Jalen Brown is in his head that when he's walking to the line, you're expecting, man, if we get one out of two, this is a good scenario right now. And he goes three of eight last night. You know, I think just from a statistical standpoint, you know, three of eight from him at the free throw line. And of course, you know, Al Horford, 0 for 7. You can throw in Derek White, 0 for 2, making those two guys combined 0 for 9. I mean, I think you you look at just those two glaring areas as five free points and not getting any type of three-point production from from two of your starters as a big area to where you start as to, you know, how you can change this how or, or what needs to change. But... Jalen Brown, the free-throw line, I just have a really tough time explaining, especially when we've talked about how well he's been shooting the ball in this postseason, in this series. He's 9 of 16 from the field yesterday, 3 of 6 from 3, then 3 of 8 from the free-throw line. And I just can't explain I don't know if you have anything that 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 you can take an educated hypothesis at, but I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I've always been a big
2: believer in, in, in the the argument that free throw shooting dictates actual shooting ability right and that J- jalen brown is kind of an outlier there because mm-hmm. he's just a flamethrower at times from all over the floor and just can't hit so i'm while you was talking i, I pulled up his career free throw numbers so free throw percentages, rookie season 68.5% sophomore season 64.4% Ferger, 65.8 fourth 72.4 fifth 76.4 six 75.8 and this year 76.5 so that he has got he has improved at the line unfortunately as he's improved so has the rest of the league and since coming into the nba he has not once been a league average free throw shooter
1: what is the league average average is about 78% I think 78.2%
2: this season so he is it's only a slight dip but Mm -hmm. you're not a league average free throw shooter but you're an all-star and you're a secondary scoring option on a team that's meant to be not just a contending team but odds on favorites to win the whole damn thing and I just don't understand whether he's overthinking it I don't understand whether he's rushing it maybe he's you know how some guys take a few dribbles, get into their stance. They bounce find a their times. routines. Yeah. This, is,
1: this is where you get the. You know the was it Jason Kidd had the or Jerry Stackhouse had the deep knee bend. Gilbert Arenas put the ball around his back. Uh, Nick Van Axel stood you know a few feet back from the free throw line on and on there's many guys that we could point out but Giannis
2: that's... is more of a recent one that bounces the ball like a million times just stands there for a
1: year I don't know if it's helped him though so I don't know if, I don't know if that's the example <laughs> yeah, but get what you saying. Know,
2: it doesn't feel like there's a routine with Brown I don't know whether that's part of it I don't know whether he's just not a great free throw shooter I always feel like he his shots are quite strong in general like, there's a lot of power behind it. Like, yeah. I've always believed that you finesse a shot, you, you get enough power on it to get the propulsion, but then you let the arc and the, the rotation of the ball do more for you than you do actual
1: power right i mean that's where the the shooter's touch theory comes yeah. from, right? you come you, yeah and you that's how loyal guard you get those get that extra bounce you can have it you know you have more it just gives yourself a greater variance for if the ball is not perfect what happens if it hits the front of the rim if it hits the back of the rim, yeah. doesn't have that certain touch i know what you mean jalen brown does feel a little bit more like a like a line drive forceful shooter. And so he's probably less, less apt to that. But I mean, it's a struggle we've seen all year. I mean, I know when Greg and I, like I mentioned, I'm going to go back to the, to the game against the Knicks in the regular season, you know, Greg and I wouldn't look at each other when Jalen Brown was, was taking those free throws. And as soon as he missed them, you know, we both look at each other like you knew he was missing those, right? We're like, yeah, hundred percent. Like we just, we it just unfortunately, it was just one of those feelings, and I think a lot of people in the building felt that way. It's unfortunate. I think it's just a, a mental thing, but it's something that I'm not surprised is is kind of rearing its head here in in the lowest moment of the Celtics season. But it's not the only thing that you know. Obviously, like I said, I think that's one of the glaring parts of last night that that does jump out to you is that three for eight from the free throw line. But I I, I want to move here to another part, and I, I already touched on it a little bit, is you know, with Missoula Ball, with the way this offense flows, we, we just need to knock down threes. This team does come and go a little bit the way the three point ball will will go in or won't go in. And last night, getting an O of nine, specifically O of seven from Al Horford is just backbreaking. It's it's absolutely devastating to the way that this team wants to play. And like I mentioned before, you know, I don't think that this is a great matchup for Rob Williams. The series, the more yeah. that Embiid's out there, the more it's just not a good matchup for Rob Williams. Maybe we can try a little bit more double big. If, if I, I don't know if that's, we'll talk about adjustments here in just a second, but Al Horford's been, you know, as good as you can be on Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's Joel Embiid. No one's shutting him down. He came damn close to doing that at the end of game four. And, you know, he, he, he at least will give Embiid enough Trouble that you're not constantly, you know, changing the dynamics of your defense every single time. You're going to have to adjust because it's Joel, but you're not constantly, you know, changing it. Like there's times you can get away with Al just, just Al going at, at Joel. And it, it's, it's been a decent remedy so far, despite, you know, MB's great numbers. But if Al's getting the looks that he's getting and he's not hitting them, and I think it became very evident early in the second half, he got gun shy. And, you know, I texted Greg at one point. I think Al being gun shy is almost even worse than him putting those shots up and continuing to miss because now you're off and and you could see it in the second half. It then triggered everyone minus basically Jason Tatum getting trigger shy in that second half and the offense just completely collapsed on itself.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've said this a hundred thousand million gazillion trillion billion zillion zillion billion times making your freeze does not necessarily equate to gravity the same way as taking your freeze does because on a game-to-game basis generally players don't know what you're shooting from deep they just get they just know you shoot a lot and we need to close out on you because if you're shooting them then there's a chance you're going to make them so there was that aspect of things and then i like how you put it it's Kind of a trickle-down effect, right? Like trickle-down economics, mm-hmm. except it's trickle-down free economics. <laughs> where if you're not taking your freeze, the guy next to you might stop taking his freeze, mm-hmm. or he might jack up more, but he's not as, like over a large sample side, he's not as, what's the word I'm looking for? As sure-fire as what you are. I'm losing words here. But what I'm getting at is, yeah, okay, so you don't shoot freeze. That means that maybe Jalen Brown has to shoot more. But Jalen Brown's having a bad night. So now he's going to go back away from shooting freeze. He's going to drive more. Now Malcolm Brogdon gets that put on his shoulders. But Malcolm Brogdon isn't really having the best stretch of basketball right now. So now he's going to drive more. And before you know it, a three-point heavy offense just gets in its own way. And it is tough. And like you said, Rob's not really having the best series. It's not the best matchup for him. You can't run your five-out offense the same way. You can still run it, but they don't seem to want to do that. Honestly, I think at some point when out was struggling, it would have made sense to put Blake in there for a little while. That can shoot some threes. There, he'll shoot them and not care if he misses because mm-hmm. you know it's Blake Griffin. He don't care about much. He's got a pawn stash with him. Say,
1: um, <laughs> <laughs> I like the Blake stash. I'm I'm be real with you. I, I think it's working for him.
2: Yeah, me too, dude. Me too. I'm here for the porn stash vibes, <laughs> but um, you know, he's another big buddy that can absorb some off off Embiid. Obviously, Embiid's going to cook him way easier than he's going to cook Horford. But there's a chance that he hits a couple of threes, or he at least keeps taking them. So then you do get that trickle, like you get that trickle up free dynamics where one guy's yeah. taking threes, so everybody else gets in on the play. That would have made sense to me, honestly. But they didn't go that way. And you know, when Blake was originally brought into the team. A lot of people viewed that as, "Hey, it's another body to throw at the Giannis and the Embiid's of the world." No, apparently not. Apparently, yeah. we're just going to live or die by Al Horford making freeze, and that's unfair on him.
1: You know what I mean? It, I, I mean, it is, but at the same time, here's the th- here, here's here's kind of my stance on it. I, I understand what you're saying. He's a, he was a forty five percent three point shooter this year. I would ride or die with that as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that's necessarily a a bad thing. Like, I would bet. I mean, going into to game six, this is where I want to take a quick break and we'll we'll, we'll come back and we'll start getting into adjustments for game six. I'm I'm putting Al Hover back out there and I'm telling him, hey, shoot all of those same shots. I have more belief that that you're going to come out of it than it then me moving to Rob Williams or even Grant Williams, who I think could play more than probably eight and a half minutes, although he also didn't play no one played great last night. So it's just that, that doesn't matter. You know, but, but I think Grant could play a little bit more to help, you know, stem the tides a bit. But at the end of the day, I'm still riding or die with Al Horford, 30-plus minutes. Shoot 10 threes, go one of 10. I'll go down with the ship if that's what it is because you're going to get the looks. But with that, let's take a quick break here, Adam, and let's uh, let's start to, to look ahead of it. All right, so we're still on kind of right now. Last night, you know, the three-point shooting from Al Horford, Derek White, was was tough. Grant Williams only plays eight and a half minutes. He's 0-1 as well. It, it was just tough to come by. So, Adam, you know, we talked about Missoula grasping at straws, looking for the the Brogdon-Williams combo, which I don't think was, was working out all that well against the Embiid hard and the starters of of philadelphia we talked about peyton pritchard getting the call at about 250 left in the in the third quarter to try to bring some type of energy you know where do you think that that the celtics can go from here um what's an adjustment or or what do you think will happen as we look ahead to game six
2: i said this on the instagram live with greg uh pre-game pre-game five my biggest adjustment right now is early in the game run some actions to get tatum the ball in that mid post Forget this three-point-heavy offense. We can build out to that. I've been a big believer in, hey, if you want to shoot this many threes, cool. But start the game building a
1: rhythm at the rim. Go from the inside out.
2: Yeah, build it, Build that momentum. Get that, vo- that that rhythm, that vibe flowing through the team. Like, hey, we're hot. We've made five of six. We're, we're feeling good about ourselves. Now we're going to run some flare actions and get some threes, right? So running some wedge actions where you just like get Tatum into the mid post, get him onto the high post, or wherever on that post area you want, and be like, dude, just go in your Kobe back, You know, turn, face up. You want to shoot it, shoot. You want to take the guy off the dribble. Do you? We don't mind. We'll even send you a second screen and run a mid-post pick and roll with you. It's cool. We'll go 90s for a few possessions. Because then you might find that you get Tater and feeling confident. He's feeling good. You're playing a game that benefits his skill set, benefits the way he wants to play. Ime Udoka did a really good job of that last year. He used to get Tatum a lot more post-touches mm-hmm. a lot more, and really put him in a position to feel comfortable. It doesn't matter if that's not how you want to play. It matters about getting a guy bedded into a system, like bedded into a game. Hey, okay, I've got the touches. I feel comfortable. Now I can start stretching the game out. Do that for Tatum. Run some rip screens for Jalen Brown. Get him comfortable. Let him attack the rim downhill. You know what I mean? Let him do what he feels comfortable doing just being this ridiculous athlete and then you can start flowing into some actions. And I think if you do that, you've got less of a chance of these guys really struggling early and then being in their own heads for the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean I think for the last couple of years we've we've noticed paint touches generally are going to generate into better looks on the outside. Now I will say Selects had a lot of good looks last night. So I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think that the type so so one thing that's always been big for me is how are they getting the shots now in the second half? Like I said, when everyone got gun shy, everything kind of fell apart. But in that first half, they got a lot of good looks. They just didn't hit them. They didn't hit them. And then it kind of got in their heads a bit. So I understand your point of, of trying to get off to a better start last couple games. I mean, Tatum's gotten to the free throw line, a, a healthy amount in these last couple of games, got to the line 13 times in, um, in game two, of course, like we said, you know, it took him until about middle of the second quarter to, to to really get going. But it is really hard to kind of figure out, you know, where the Celtics go from here. Because you had a great tweet earlier today, Adam. It feels like we're in a toxic relationship with this Celtics team. And when you really think back to the beginning, to this whole season, Right the The first date with Joe Mazula was that first twenty five games of the year, the first couple of dates really, where you show up, the vibes are right. Oh my God, this is a match. It wasn't just you know, it, it wasn't just on the app. Now we're in person, we're hanging out, we're having a great time. You know, this is this is the best relationship I've ever been in. There's not a downside. Then we play the Warriors about mid December ish, and you start to see some cracks. The old flame came back into the picture. Started seeing some old habits kind of kind of come creep back in but then just when you think that you might need to get out of this relationship something beautiful happens something magical happens you're like ah that's all right everyone has their own flaws but this toxic circle just keeps coming back and keeps coming back and you know with this team i still i still think number one this sounds crazy i still think they're the better team if you lose the series you're just clearly not but i still think they're the better team in this series i think they have the better roster in this series and there's part of me that I, I don't know the right way to, to put they, they just need to come out and play with the right assertion rather than letting the 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 Sixers put them in a position to then have to get to play the way that they want to. It's just coming out from the and I don't know what it is that prevents that from happening. I don't. And so it, it's not a great answer, but I, I, they need to find a way to get that to happen early. I I don't know what that is. Maybe it's like you're saying. Maybe it's starting from the inside and then building it out. To know, allowed me to start out with just of, just starting jump shots from the beginning, and, and it steamrolled from there.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not even so much about working inside out; it's about putting guys in positions to be comfortable early in the game, not asking them to play within a structured system or a like you know, the Celtics don't run a set heavy offense; they run a principled offense. They have it's random according yeah. to,
1: to Marcus Meyer. It's just random.
2: Yeah, it's just read and react within a principle-based system. Hey, if these guys do this, then we've got three or four different actions we can flow into. But asking your guys to be comfortable is far more important. When we're talking about shot selection, it's, okay, so we want to know how how did you generate those shots? How open were those shots? Who took that shot is usually a big indicator as well. You don't want Grant Williams taking a pull-up two from mid-range, but you're more than happy if Jalen Brown does that. But it's also the same as, well, how much rhythm is that guy in right now? You know, has he been struggling from that part of the floor the last few games? Do we, is that really the best shot for him to be taking right now? So getting guys feeling comfortable early is really important to me. I don't know if you saw this, but did you see my souffle tweet as well? Uh, I did not. Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, you missed the souffle tweet? So apparently it's a top-tier tweet. So <laughs> that's what somebody replied. <laughs> <laughs> so Rianne Bakes on Twitter, uh, she put... So I now see the Missoula dedicated dessert that she must have posted previously may have been a misstep and I'm willing to own that. So then I quote retweeted, that depends. Was it a failed souffle? Because that would be apt. Look look to be under rise early before falling flat in the most (laughs) most important moment. I thought that was the tweet, the top tier tweeting from Adam right there. Um, Look, game six, you're going into this game. I want the guys to find comfortability factor early and then I, I just want to see an adjustment that works. I want to see some fight in these guys as well. For a team that's got Marcus Smart, who wasn't even in contention for All-NBA, the All-Defensive team by the looks of things, because he didn't make first or second team, that hasn't really had that Marcus Smart, I'm going to will you to play better kind of game through the playoffs yet. I want to see him leading the charge. You want to you crown him the emotional leader? I agree. Longest tenured Celtic, I think the team at times goes goes how smart goes, and I want to see him kind of drag these guys by like the the scruff of their neck and pull them into a battle and really lead them into war. And I think this is one thing where you know I'm not I'm completely on board with whatever decision the Celtics made regarding Udoka. We don't know the story, whatever. I'm not getting into that. But the one thing Udoka did was he galvanized that roster every game. They went into games ready to go to war for each other, for each other and for him. We're not seeing that right now for with, with Missoula, they don't look like they're ready to go to war for him. They don't look like they're ready to fight for each other. I want to see some of that fight because you, you're going to need it going into, mm-hmm. going into the Wells Fargo and to fit his home and trying to keep a series alive against a former MVP, a reigning MVP and a Tyrese Maxey yeah. who's playing really well this series. If you're not going in there willing and ready to fight for each other and really get bloodied and bruised, it's not going to end well.
1: It's going to be a a very depressing Bleacher Report (laughs) session for us afterwards. Yeah, because there's only
2: so much that X's and O's are going to do for you. If you don't Mm -hmm. have the right mentality, if you don't have the right application to the game, if you're not going in there as one unit that's willing to, you know, I mean, Grant Williams got his face stumped on, and I get it was an accident, but this time last year, I'm sure somebody would have pulled up like, you know, Smart would have been going at Embiid or someone somewhere would have been like, yo, watch what you're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would have been an old... There was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Your boy just got curb stumped and not one person wanted that smoke. Last year, there, there would have been someone, bro.
1: I mean, one thing that I was thinking about the, the other night, right? And Missoula had spoken about this before, about how his philosophy was a little bit of shifting this team into a more offensive-minded team and that the the defense would be there. I think we took a little... It feels like this team took a little bit for granted how much that defense could really just snap back into it, right, uh, without there being that emphasis. And, you know, the offense to me really was where a, a lot of, if you look at last season, where that championship was won or lost. We didn't have enough offensive firepower. We didn't have enough offensive versatility. Um, we just didn't have the answers to, to, to you know, to get us across the finish line. I mean, they held the Warriors to under, I think it was only they scored over either 107 or 108 in any of those finals games. Like, that's really good for when the Warriors team last year that was clicking on all cylinders and Steph Curry was going God mode in some of those games. Like, that's really impressive to hold the Warriors consistently under 108 points when you don't break 104 different times. I understand the thinking of, yeah, let's let's reshape some of this offense. Let's give us a little bit more firepower. We have two uh, all all-NBA you know offensive you know demons out here that are gonna average between twenty six and thirty points per game, you know for the season. So we should have a better offense. You bring in a guy like Brogdon. But I do think that this team, while trying to reset that mentality, probably took a little bit too much for granted how much they'd be able to just snap back in to those defensive wizards that they were last year that they yeah. really made their staple on thinking that you did it once and it's going to be there for you again I think that's probably something that looking back you know and I'm already speaking as if the season's over which clearly not but looking back that's probably something that feels like a little bit of a mistake and there needs to be more of a balance and maybe that's that comes from not having you know Damon Sodom you know the coaching staff like Damon Stoudemire left halfway through the year Joe Missoula stepped up obviously night before training camp and and I think you know that's one thing that we'll never know how much that determined where this team is at but but there is just I mean think about the season starts or is about to start with Ime Odoka Missoula's an assistant head coach and then you have Damon Stoudemire and then you shift two of those three guys up, Uduk, is out, and then Damon Stoudemire leaves, and now you're left with one-third of the two-thirds of the head of your coaching staff that you thought you were going to have the night before training camp, and maybe we're seeing that take its toll. I think that's entirely a a possibility of this as well.
2: Yeah, I think I agree completely, and I've been quite vocal on, hey, Missoula's kind of on an island right now. There's no one he can really bounce ideas off outside of Ben Sullivan, who to me is more of a shooting coach.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So by the way, also has a great Derek white impression. I don't know if you saw, I think it was Bobby Manning had a video of uh, Ben Sullivan doing a a Derek white impression uh, on the baseline when Derek white kind of gets hit and then throws it up. It was, it was pretty good. It was spot on. He's he's also got some acting
3: chops.
2: I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I didn't see that, but it's, it's fair. I mean, I do feel like the mentality has been a complete overcorrection. There was definitely a balance to find. And anyone that listens to me talk basketball knows i am half on about balance all the way through a season. They've overcorrected, and a big part of their defensive identity last year, and this is where it's kind of like a, I don't know if you use this term in America, but a Mm catch-22,
1: yeah?
2: Yeah. This is where it's a catch-22. A a big part of that defensive identity was a double-big lineup, but you then can't run the type of offense that Missoula wants to run with two bigs on the floor. Because you lose pace, you lose spacing, you lose all sorts of stuff on that offense. Well, they have not been playing
1: with pace anyway, so that's that's something no, that they yeah, haven't absolutely. had all series. That's a that's a separate issue. But but I understand your point. But but with that, you know, I, I briefly skimmed through this at an earlier point in our conversation here. You know, is that is something that we could potentially see? You know, with Al Horford who was struggling last night, and you know, Rob's had a pretty up and down series. I would I would lean more towards down than than up for for Rob Williams. You know, in some form, or maybe it's Grant that's in this mix as well, too. You know, because if you do have Grant now, maybe you could you could still play, you know, that a, five a more, out, more, yeah, that yeah. five out spaced out version. Do you think that's something potentially that we do see? Because it's not like we haven't ever seen a double big lineup with Joe Missoula. It's just more reluctant to go to it. I just think Joe
2: Missoula doesn't trust Grant enough. Mm-hmm. I think that's evident at this point. I'm honestly expecting Grant to leave at this point. Um, because I just don't think Joe Missoula trusts him the way Udoka did. Uh, And I think that's evident in these minutes, Tally. So that's, I mean, that's a completely separate issue that I've got thoughts on and I've been very vocal about. But while I think that could work, I don't think we see at least not as like a primary concept in a game, especially game six where it's win or go home, Mm -hmm. because Joe just doesn't have that level of trust in what Grant provides. And to be honest with you, I absolutely don't get it. Yeah, But, you know, I don't get a lot of things Joe does.
1: It, it, it's tough, man. So, I mean, I think when you look at, you know, the adjustments for, for game six, a lot of it's just how this team decide w- which team decides to show up, you know? we're we, right? Yeah. And I think we've said a lot, we've said that on the reverse side for which James Harden is Philly getting right. Is they get in game one, game four, they get in game two, game three. And, you know, it's a little bit the same for the Celtics, which, which version of this team are we going to, are we going to get? And, you know, and then, then it becomes a whole other issue when we get to the, to the end of the game, that's a whole other separate bag issue. So, this team's imperfect. This team has moments where they're where they're good to great. It's just the consistency has been really hard for this team, and now they got their backs against the wall, do or die, game six, Thursday night. But I do have a a relatively good stat for you here, Adam, that can can hopefully 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 leave us feeling a little bit positive here. Give so, it to me, baby. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. So since two thousand, only two postseason. Two post-seasons in total have not featured a team coming back from a 3-2 deficit, 2011 and 2017. So we always see the stats. Every Game 5, we see the—and I saw, I think, last night on TNT, they, were, they had it at uh, 86%. I've seen other websites say 84%. So it's, it's 84 85% of the time the winner of that Game 5 goes on to win the series. I think since 2000, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's a lot more common since 2000 as you get more talent in this league. As we've seen this year, you know, an eight seed Miami Heat is one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. A seven seed Los Angeles Lakers is one game away from the Western Conference Finals. We've seen how much talent there is in this league. So that's shrinking that gap. And I think that's part of that variability. But since 2000, there's only been two entire postseasons where there wasn't a 3-2 comeback. And there hasn't been one yet, Adam. So we said the Celtics did it last year. Why not again, right?
2: Yeah, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was really trying to build that up and hope we'd, we'd get like kind of a rallying cry here. Why, like, you know, the, the, the Red Sox in 2004 had this why not us mentality. I mean, I, I, like you said, I mean, like you're feeling two years in a row. It's not a great position to put yourself in. It feels great once, but to keep putting yourself in that position, yeah. eventually you're just playing with fire.
2: Yeah, so the way I'm looking at it is the Celtics did this last year. Exactly, right? They they go 3-2 down. They rally back. Jason Tatum turns god mode. They win in seven games. That was against Milwaukee, if my memory serves correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. But who else had an enormous game in that game seven?
1: In game seven, it was Grant Williams.
2: Yep. He ain't there now. He ain't playing shit. What, eight minutes is going to have an enormous game. Malcolm Brogdon could do it. I get it. But my, my, <laughs> I had faith in that team. I had faith in the mm. 2022 Boston Celtics. I don't feel as good about the 2023. I still think they can win. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they go into game six. They absolutely destroy. They spank. They wipe the floor. Whatever adjectives you want to use to pull in there to describe what Boston are going to do to Philly. I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then you're playing at home, and you seem to, for some goddamn reason, keep losing your home games. So, and I said this after the last episode: I do not want no part of James Harden in a Game Seven. I just don't because this dude's found the Lazarus Pit, the the Fountain of Youth. I don't know, I don't know what was in that Las Vegas club that he was at before this series started. <laughs> but that dude is on a mission. I don't know if he made a deal with the devil. something happened behind that after he slapped someone he went somewhere did something and now he's playing like this
1: yeah Um, I don't want no part of him in a game 7 period well, I and mean, that's the only way through is, is there needs to be a game seven. And I think something you said last episode, Adam, has, is, is what really rang true to me last night is, you know, we're seeing Embiid get stronger as the season goes on. And I think that's that, that, to me, that's the scariest part. You saw that chase down block you had on yeah. Jalen Brown last night. That that was a pretty iconic moment, you know, watching, you know, if you've seen some of the, the replays of that, that's a big oh. moment for Joel Embiid. So I think that's the scariest part. But this is what the Celtics do. Their backs are against the wall. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. One of them is going to need to have a really special night in game six. And then they're going to need the guys like Al Horford, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. They're going to have to hit some shots. That's, that's, that's pretty much the the cut and dry of it. In my opinion, I just, because I, and I don't feel good about it, but I think this team finds a way. I, I don't know how, but I think they find a way. We're back in Boston for a game seven on Sunday. That's what I think is going to happen. We'll have to see. And, following Game 6, Bleacher Report app. Download it. Join us. Follow the Celtics on Bleacher Report. We'll be there live after Game 6. And then after Game 7, we'll be there as well. I'm just saying it. I'm just going to say there's a Game 7. I'm just just going to pretend like there's a Game 7. I
2: do not expect this to be a six-game series. There's a Game 7. Adam's going to be tired for two
1: days, two games running. (laughs) I'm probably going to be cranky. At at least after, you know, you're going to get up at... Got an ungodly hour to join us for uh, post game coverage on Game Six. At least well, you have two have days have to off. Watch the game
2: first. So you have two mm-hmm. days,
1: we'll be up. But yeah, so we'll have two days off after that to recoup for Sunday. So that will be the one time we get an extra day off in the series here. Once this gets to a Game Seven, but that's all we got for today. And any other final thoughts here, Adam? Before we we sign off, Celtics in Seven. Celtics 7. That's all that needs to be said. Also, real quick, shout out to Derek White getting second team all NBA defense. Here's your flowers. Sorry, my guy. We we gave you a ton of flowers all year. We didn't have time to fit it in today. It's just that type of episode, but we, love you. we gave you. gave you flowers all year. My florist is out of business because of you, so... Uh, or I'm out of business of my fun, <laughs> because of my been paying too much money to my florist is what's been happening when we talk about Derek White on the show. But remember to tune in. Bleacher Report app after Game 6. We'll have an announcement on Instagram and Twitter going up shortly. Appreciate everybody for joining us. As always, like, subscribe. Adam, it's been a pleasure, my guy. We'll be back after Game 6. Celtics and 7. Let's go, Boston. We got some Black Sheep optimists for y'all on the way out. Peace, y'all. Bye-bye. I wish that they never seen the stars in your eyes. A
2: glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage. Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe. But I stick for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe. I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes. Don't be casual
0: feelings when it's only a vibe. Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy. You know the one thing different is the state of your mind. I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope. I'm getting too damn high to not know I could float. You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote. But I'd be doing it shit folly if
2: I didn't have hope. Cause you know that that embodied, that's go with the flow. I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes. You had me taken off when you took off your clothes. It should be coming down by now, but the won't. Skywalking, bouncing from cloud to cloud. Skywalking,
3: bounce from cloud
0: to cloud. cloud to cloud. In the, earth, the moon, the
3: stars. Everyone is talking about magnesium. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to Biooptimizers.com balance today and use code balance10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at bioptimizers.com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.